welcome to New Slang. I'm your host, music journalist Thomas Mooney, and this is episode 120, where I'm joined by singer-songwriter Brennan Lee. I caught up with Brennan just last week to talk about her new album, Prairie Love Letter, which that new album is out at the end of this week, Friday, September 18th. Prairie Love Letter is exactly that. It's a love letter to Brennan's roots, family, and the rural open plains where she was raised. I say it during this interview, but I just really love when an artist does an album like this. Obviously, typically you're so used to where you grew up that all the beauty is just kind of common and routine by the time you're 18. And if you're like the average 18 year old, you're just kind of determined to get away from there as soon as you can. And it's really only then whenever you've gotten just far enough away that you can see the beauty of like your little hometown. You understand and realize why it's so special. And most of the time for songwriters and artists, when they look back, they realize that there's something worth writing about. That's an album like Flatlands by Ryan Colwell. Really like all of the Turnpike Troubadour albums. You get that a lot in albums and songs by Jason Isbell, Coulter Wall, Kelsey Walden, Ian No. You know, I could really just go on forever, but you get the point. And that's exactly what Brennan does here with Prairie Love Letter. It's Western Minnesota. It's Eastern North Dakota. It's just like her little pocket of land, those open plains, farmland, and it's an authentic examination. Brennan gets all the details right. It's very specific. That's all very important and it adds so much value. But if you've been listening to or reading anything I've written in these past few years, you'll know that I'm one of these people who really believes that while authenticity is nice and great and really kind of an essential part of this album, what's really key is how genuine a songwriter is. And that's really where Brennan shines brightest. She handles these songs and these stories with such delicacy. She's careful and loving, and her songwriting and her performance, they're warm and earnest. So much so that even if you relate to very little of the specifics, if they don't really necessarily remind you of your childhood home or where you were raised, you're going to be aware of that hearty, genuineness that Brennan brings with this album. I've described Prairie Love Letter as a mix of Willa Cather and Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. It's plain spoken in nature and you feel that pioneering spirit in these songs. Today's presenting sponsor is Desert Door Texas Soto. If you know anything about me, it's probably that I'm from the heart of West Texas and absolutely love everything about West Texas. And that's really why I love Desert Door so much. You may be asking yourself what exactly Soto is. Well, it's a premium spirit that's similar to a tequila or a mezcal. But for my money, it's a little bit more refined and smooth. There's a sweetness and faint hints of vanilla and citrus. And it's also as versatile as your garden variety vodka. At its core, Desert Door is authentically West Texas. They go out and harvest Soto plants from the wild and bring them back to their distillery over in Driftwood, Texas. So next time you're at your local liquor store, get a bottle of Desert Door. For more info, check this episode's show notes. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, I strongly suggest hitting that subscribe link. If you just did, I'm giving you a virtual high five right now. New Slang is over on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, 
and basically any and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check out the New Slang merch store, grab a koozie, some stickers, buttons, and magnets. Any bit helps. I'll throw a link into the show notes. And if you're into playlists, go check out Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee and the Neon Eon playlists over on Spotify. The Neon Eon is for all your nostalgic 90s country needs, which there's going to be more Neon Eon related stuff coming your way pretty soon. And then Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee is a regularly updated mix of new Americana and country music. It's also a really great hint at who I have coming up on the podcast. So yeah, go follow those. All right, let's get on to the interview. Here is Brennan Lee. Texas is like we hang <laughs> yeah yeah it's, you know just, just go I mean I'm part Texan I, I, I didn't grow up there but like I spent 15 years there mm-hmm. and um you know the 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 the, the catching up thing it's like important yeah are you from love are you from Lubbock I'm originally from you grew up there uh well I've lived here probably 10 12 years now uh I grew up down further south in Fort Stockton um but I've I've basically lived in West Texas my entire life, so. Well, you have a lovely accent. Since I moved away, I've I've really come to appreciate the Texas accent, all the different. <laughs> well, see, I, I've, I it's always weird because I feel like, in comparison to a lot of Texans, I don't have like an accent at all. Well, but you like, you yeah. don't. Yours is very soft, mm-hmm. but the <laughs> the the West Texas is my favorite. Yeah, I I love just. West Texas in general, like it's just been, I've always had like a little bit of a love hate relationship with it, not appreciating it growing <laughs> up. Cause you know, it's just, cause you're from there. there. Yeah. Um, and listen, that's like really probably like the best jumping point into this record for you is that, you know, this obviously is a love letter back home for you. Um, it feels like you've these, these feelings, this, this sound has always been there for you. This, uh, that influence, but obviously this is a a record about being from this area, the the prairie, if you will. Um, what, why, why now, and like why, uh, what what spurred on this um, this project? Well, um, the songs had come together sort of organically over the course of years. I moved away from Minnesota when I was. 19 and uh when you're 19 you just want to get the hell out you know um but i always always had a magic for it or a feeling of that the prairie was magic and that it was nostalgic and that it was beautiful and we had this interesting culture up there that isn't really often written about i mean the only people i can really think of in modern pop culture that is looked at this area and made it a part of their art would be the people or like the, the Fargo TV show mm-hmm. um, or the movie Fargo um, or, you know, Garrison Keillor, Prairie right. Home Companion. And both of those entities do a very good job. They really grab the culture and do a good job of portraying it. Um, but for me, there was a magic and a beauty that I saw that I want, I wanted other people to see. And, um, it's just an interesting little enclave and I didn't see how interesting it was until I moved away and I'd been gone and I'd been homesick. 
Right. Yeah. It it is. And it's interesting because I think for a lot of people that touchstone is Fargo and like, the, <laughs> you know, like the, obviously that's like a, it has to be at least in part a, a character of, of the people there. And, um, obviously like the Coen brothers, you know, they, they did the same thing with, with no country for old men for where I'm from. Right. So it feels like they, they are able to go in there and, um, capture like the essence of a, of a people in a place and just do it right. But still like it's, it's, it's interesting to see like that as being like the touchstone for everyone outside of that bubble. Right. And, and I was born in Fargo and my, and my family, some of my family lives in Fargo and I was, I grew up in Moorhead, which is right across the, the next town over. Um, so, you know, when you say Fargo, it kind of elicits a sort of joke reaction from people like, Oh, Fargo, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like cause, cause of the funny accent. Right. Um, and I, I still lived there when the movie came out. I think I was in junior high or high school and, I remember everyone saying, oh, we don't talk like that, you know. <laughs> they were offended. But, you know, it, it is a, a great movie and a great – I haven't watched the whole show, but I, I am a fan of the show. Um, but there is there is a character element, and um, I th- that's valid <laughs> because it is – there are some funny things about just the culture. It's funny. There's a passive aggression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a – there's a funny, uh, there's a whole, there's a wholesomeness that's very real. And I think that comes from, you know, Puritanism mixed with Scandinavian culture that, you know, from a hundred years ago and just living somewhere really cold and having to entertain yourself with accordion music or whatever, <laughs> whatever my, my dad's family and my mom's family did when they were, you know, younger. Um, but yeah, it's interesting you say the thing about No Country for Old Men because it's been years since I saw that movie, but I kind of know what you mean. It's like they graze the surface and they do a pretty good job, but it's not showing the whole culture. Right. Yeah. You know, like the, um, I guess like probably, I'm trying to think of like when it, how I was attached to this, but um, I think it had to be like the movie Fargo. I think there may have been a a bonus little uh, vignette of, of a d- little mini doc or something about it, uh, that came with a DVD or something, but it was talking about like that. I think what they, they called it as like the Minnesota nice, that yep. passive aggressive kind of wholesomeness, but also like being like the nicest, <laughs> uh, as possible, but also like the the inconvenience like you <laughs> showing that you've been yeah yeah you, being nice even if you don't want to mm-hmm. there's a there's a great um you, you can watch it on youtube it's um it's called how to talk minnesotan and it's like 30 minutes long it's from it's from 1990 or something it's it's old and it, it is spot on it's so funny mm-hmm. the little things that we would say <laughs> like if someone offers you and texas has this same texas has things like this um, but in Minnesota, we would have this thing like, and I, I never knew this was a real thing. Like I never knew, I never noticed we did this until I saw this little film. But if someone offers you a piece of pie, you want a piece of pie? Well, no, 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 I'm good. I wouldn't want to trouble you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Well, no, no, I shouldn't. I, I, I have, I'm pretty full from dinner. 
Oh, I, I'll just get it. I'm having a piece. Oh, okay. So you have to wait three. <laughs> they have to offer it to you three times before you'll accept it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's a that's just a weird little cultural nuance that that we would do, or you know, following someone out to the car when they're leaving, <laughs> that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Just little little funny, cute things you never knew you did. Yeah, it's like these little dances, right? These little uh, traditions, right? These cultural the cultural norms. Uh, that you just well, in have Texas, to do. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but like, like in Texas, um, I learned, you know, um, like having to hug everyone. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, like this is not something we did mm-hmm. at family gatherings. My family, and we're my mom's side is Irish, and my my dad's side is Norwegian, and we we hug, but not like as a ritual. So you know. You, you get to Thanksgiving dinner and you hug every single person one at a time in Texas. And I mean, at least that's how it is in, in the old family. Um, but that, that was new to me. And then when you leave, you hug everybody again. And, and if I like forgot to hug somebody, it, it, I would be snubbing them <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Well, you, you've seen that in, at, at bars and at venues and stuff. Like it is so hard sometimes you'll try and leave a, a bar and it takes you 30 minutes because you have to say goodbye to everyone. And I've never really been like a, you know, a touchy, like, hey, let's touch all the damn time, like hugging and hands. Especially not now, like, right? Yeah, yeah, especially now. And um, it just pulls me back to like this old Seinfeld episode of him just being like, um, I guess like Seinfeld just wanting to do like the wave. Like, why can't we just do that? Why can't, why do we have do to? Do the like, wave. Yeah, like that's a... <laughs> that's a thing, right? Like, and like, he just, you, you feel guilted into though, like where I've tried to do the wave, like, all right, I'll see, like just wave to the four or five people there. And then it's like one person reaches out their hand to give you like a hand or a a handshake and, and pull you in for your hug. And then you just feel guilted into doing it for everyone. (laughs) So, yeah, I know, but it's, you know, there's a sweetness to that. Mm -hmm. And even in, um, you know, even in Austin, um, I, when I, when I lived in Austin, I, I played there all the time and had a nice group of fans that would come out and hear me and dance and what have you. Um, but I would get kissed a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a progressive, uh, you know, feminist leaning woman. And, uh, I, I always noticed that these, especially more, you know, older Texan men, they would always kiss me on the cheek. You know, and it's just, it's just the way that, you know, you just have to accept it grace, gracefully because that's just, that's just their way of saying, I care for you. Right. <laughs> and it's their way of greeting. And it is, is new, different to me for sure coming down from the Midwest, but I appreciate it as sort of a, an, a thing of old Texas that we may not always have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, it, it's, what's so interesting I feel about uh, when I was listening to this record and is it's I think it's so um amazing whenever a songwriter is able to like turn back home and uh, like just collect all those songs about those things that you didn't think were you know amazing or important um and then show them off and I feel like that has been something that all of our if you kind of like go back and like start listening to some of your favorite records or your favorite songwriters they're all able to really do that they're able to show off their little slice of America and you 
I mean, like the biggest probably example is Springsteen, right? Just that entire. Oh yeah. His whole. He's thing, great right? at that. Um, or like Jason Isbell or, you know, Guy Clark, they're able to show these little pockets of where they're from. And, um, in a way, like obviously there's a little bit of that roman romanticizing it and the nostalgia mixed in and also kind of like being a little bit more brutally honest about a place and, um, all those little elements mixed in, I think just make these little, that's what makes, I think, great music, great storytelling. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you'd say that because I was talking to Rodney Crowell mm-hmm. about, about this and he's one of those people that's great at sort of contextualizing songs. And, um, in his writing, you, you feel like you're there that he just does. There's some magic that he just injects into his songs that you feel like you're there. And, uh, I remember him saying, you know, the greatest art has a, has a sense of place and gives people a sense of place. Um, it's the setting. I mean, setting is so much when it comes to any kind of writing, whether it's prose or, or poetry. This episode is in part brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. While Blue Light is still closed due to the pandemic, there is a way to help A, support Blue Light, and B, get a sense of that normalcy by visiting bluelightlubbock.com, clicking on the merch tab, and getting some koozies, a vast array of t-shirts and caps, and yes, even a blue light flag. While it is such a bummer that live music is still on hold right now, I'm telling you, by getting some Blue Light Live merch, you're going to feel better. It just feels better wearing a t-shirt and ball cap and helping support your favorite bar. Again, that's bluelightlubbock.com. Click on the merch tab, get some merch. All right, back to the episode. You mentioned just a minute ago, whenever... um, obviously like the touchstones of what most people think of for this area uh, as being Fargo and there not being like a lot of modern, I guess, uh, cultural references. When I was listening to the album, what I kind of felt was that mix of Springsteen's uh, Nebraska, like that kind of setting. But also I remember reading a bunch of uh, like Willa Cather stuff back in high school Um like O Pioneers and um, like some of her work like that. And I feel like that kind of world, that setting really, um, it feels like that's like an influence on, on what these songs are. So you're dead on with that <laughs> because when I um, was, this record was really coming together. And by the way, that's a compliment. Thank you. Um, and when this was coming together, kind of full force, I had just, discovered and now I'd heard of her growing up and it's funny to me that we never read O Pioneers or um, any of her work when I was in school because I was aware of her because she wrote about the prairie mm-hmm. but when this record was coming together um, I had just re- I just read My Antonia for the first time mm-hmm. and um, it's ab- it absolutely became my favorite book and sh- her her writing actually I'm kind of getting chills talking about this her writing actually changed the way that I write songs. Yeah. Because there, there's just this description, um, especially in um, the beginning of My Antonia. I don't know if you've read that one. Um, it's a great book if you haven't. 
it's it's the my favorite book. So this boy, you know, his it's in the late 1800s, and this boy, this 10 year old boy, his parents have died, and he lives in Virginia, and he's being sent out to Nebraska to live with his grandparents, and he's in this wagon, and he just looks up and um, it. It's, it's, there's this description about how there was nothing but land. Um, he had the feeling that the world was left behind, that he, that they'd gotten over the edge of the world, and and they were outside man's jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was that was actually the song um, outside the jurisdiction of man. That is the last song on my record was directly influenced by that scene, um, and him talking about how looking out on the prairie and seeing the complete dome of heaven, the complete dome of heaven, no, nothing. And to me, that's just, some people might get in that place and feel claustrophobic, but I just, there's nothing better to me than being able to stand up and look a hundred miles and see nothing. That's just heaven to me. Yeah. So I'm sure you can relate <laughs> being being from West Texas. Yeah. Yeah. The I, I love that's, that's something that I really like too. And, I've always kind of people don't understand this, but yeah, I do love like just being out in the flatness and, um, there's like this, I don't know, like there's a little bit of comfort in that for me. I don't know why. Um, like down in Fort Stockton, it's super flat down there as well. And it's just, you know, mesquite trees or or mesquite bushes, really not even trees. And you're just able to see forever. And I don't know, like I've, Anytime I've gotten any, anytime I've traveled anywhere, like you just kind of feel out of place until you get to a place of, of where like it just goes flat. And I don't know. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. I mean, even beautiful places like mm-hmm. <laughs> with beautiful mountains, <laughs> I feel a little bit relieved when I can see. There's it's just it must be a thing about being from the plains. Yeah, and you know, like it's the going back to this, you know the the Willa Cather kind of thing. Um, I think like what so much of, of what like that kind of writing um, about these, obviously like the pioneer kind of pioneer meets the frontier, the uh, where like that where land or like where I guess um, modern society at that time was building up. Right. Where you're right there on that edge or past the edge. Um, it feels like that so much of that, the best way to describe all that kind of stuff is in that plain spoken kind of way, but also mixing in and what is probably like my favorite part of listening to music and reading is those mixings uh, in of like idioms and analogies and stuff like that. Um, what do you feel like that's what you've you're because I can I feel like I see a lot of that in in your writing is like that mix of like just the plain spokenness of telling a story, but then obviously injecting these idioms or whatever the case, uh, expressions to help, I don't know, uh, tell the story better. Yeah. I mean, to me, like this, it sounds corny. You know how people say, well, I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't write this. I just got out of the way and let it write itself or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds, it sounds corny, but like I thought the best way to tell some of these stories was in the words and feelings of the people that I'm describing. 
um, like, I mean, the, the song of John Deere H. That's, mm-hmm. that's about my dad. And it's supposed to be from his point of view. Um, and my dad is actually a really colorful storyteller. He, he uses these expressions that I'm really used to. Um, but you don't really hear anyone say anymore a thing like, oh, I'd give my right arm to, to do, you know, my dad always says that, hey, that person, I'd give my right arm to do this. Or, <laughs> um, you know, I, I love that expression. Um, and I love the use of sort of common, um, utilitarian farm things in a song. Like I, I love to put farm machinery and awkward farm equipment in a song. Um, I just love the, the mechanics of these people getting together. Like, uh, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, in, in the song, uh, the Prairie Funeral, you know, that's, that's a song about these people getting together to bury this, um, this old pioneer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's no longer pioneer times, but the, the, the story kind of smells of pioneer times because you can see, I mean, I tried to show how that culture's kind of stayed in people's blood and the way that they make coffee and the way that they sing songs and the way that they get together and put their snow boots in the hall. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of emotional thinking about it, but like, you know, that's, that's what I grew up with and just missing that so much and that feeling of being, it being cold outside and, uh, singing. I mean, when do we do that anymore? You know, get together and sing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what my family did was we sang. Yeah. The, it is, I feel like so much, like, even though like these songs are from, you know, obviously a, a place so far from where I grew up, I feel like we, there's a lot of connections between the two in this way of like, um, at least my perception is like, there's this mix of that old world enter the new world. Like these songs in a lot of ways, you, f- you can feel them being from the early 1920s or the thirties or in the eighties or now. Um, but like, it, it all feels like there's that little touch of old worldness and, I feel like when people would write about West Texas, they can tap into a same some of those same old, like I guess, timelessness features. And I feel like you you do that a whole lot on here. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're right because I was kind of thinking about more than one era mm-hmm. with these songs. I mean, the songs about the farm, you know, those those are probably they center around my stories from my dad, which are from the fifties, forties, and fifties. And my grandmother, um, who was born in 1915, my other grandmother born in 1925, um, and just kind of the, I thought a lot too, when I was putting this together about how, you know, the, the Willa Cather, a lot of her novels are on that hinge of like right before and right after the industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. So you had this this way of farming and this way of living that, ex- that existed up until a certain, you know, certain year. And then boom, you had steam, you know, you had trains, you had cars all of a sudden, um, and telephones. And, and, and that was very different, but I see a parallel with the world that I grew up in, you know, where we had TVs and it was comfortable and we had automobiles and everything, but it, 
my memories of being a young person are before the internet. Right. So like, you know, I, I graduated high school in 2002. And so I was in, I was in junior high and high school in the nineties. I was in elementary school in the eighties. Um, and there's that memory of like, it sounds funny now, but it was so simple. And then all of a sudden, boom, it was like nine 11 and things changed. And maybe that feeds into my, my nostalgia, but I just remember things being kind of old fashioned, like having to, you know, not answer the phone during dinner and <laughs> stopping by someone's house without calling that, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also had this, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I don't know how close in age you and I are, but we, um, we had like, when I was in elementary school, there was kind of this obsession going around about the, the frontier and like prairie days, like the, the Oregon trail, mm-hmm. um, that was kind of drilled in. And, you know, our music class in school was like a lady with a piano <laughs> and singing. <laughs> so there was a very, um, to me in, in, in my little romantic mind, it was very old fashioned. And then it became very not old fashioned shortly after that. Right. Yeah. Like the, yeah, like nine eleven. Um, I, I am pretty close to your age too. I graduated in '05, so um, obviously, like when nine eleven happened, that is such a um, the world did change, right? And I feel like that's like the that's like the the uh, the loss of innocence for most people, right there, right? Um, or growing up in a lot of ways, it, going to that pioneer thing. You know, it's one of those things I don't, I never really appreciated. Most kids I think I grew up with didn't appreciate this either. It was more like, oh, we get to be out of school. But like in Fort Stockton, obviously a a fort being there, like we would have like fort days and you'd go out there and they'd have, you know, um, all the stuff with the fort stuff and like old pine. You churn butter. Yeah, yeah. Like stuff like that, right? And um I, I I always thought like, oh, this is like Fort Stockton's the lamest place on earth. And then kind of like getting out of there, I realized, oh, you know what? Actually, the city and like the people of the city are like trying actually pretty hard to help keep some of the, preserve some of this stuff, you know, um, preserve the fort, you know, like that's Fort Davis also has a really great fort too that they've preserved, but you know, a lot of those things are, are gone. And I especially saw that going to other little towns around Fort Stockton and trying to find like old touchstones of the past and then them just kind of not being there anymore or just too far past the, the point of recognition. So I, I totally get what you're talking about. Yeah, there's, you know, and we have to value those things and hand it to those people for keeping keeping that going because they're living history. You know, just having someone to verbally tell you a story is just so valuable. They're kind of, they're kind of human wormholes. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression, but it's like, it's like a person that is a window to another era. Yeah. Um, Like my grandmother on my, on my dad's side, um, she would like say things in Norwegian like her, her parents were Norwegian. And like, when I was a kid, she would like say these little expressions and, <laughs> you know, I just didn't think anything of it at the time, but that's gone now. 
And so, you know, who's going to just hanging on to that is trying to hang on to that and also not being able to hold on to that. It's, it's gone. Um, that's like, there's a grief in that. And there's like a sadness in that, that I tried to inject a little or could probably couldn't help, but inject a little in these songs. Yeah. Well, going back to the, the song Prairie Funeral, there is very much that, um, celebration, but the, it's obviously around a, a funeral. It is sad and it is grief and it's, um, what it kind of reminded me of, I'm sure you're familiar with Bruce Robinson's My Brother and Me. Cause like, he oh yeah, like great a, song. there's like a, a verse in there about them playing the doghouse bass and like nobody sings low and sweet like my brother and me. And that, I feel like there's like that, there's those, you guys tapped into the same thing, the same traditions. And um, even though I, I guess like Bruce is German, um, but you, you get what I'm, the point of what I'm saying here. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, it's also funny because like we, we grew up with country music, but it was like Merle Haggard, Flatten Scrubs, that kind of thing. It was Southern music. Um, but that was, you know, that was our music, but it wasn't like a part of the culture in Minnesota as much as it would be like in Texas. Mm -hmm. So my family was kind of unique in that way. Um, but there is kind of a, and I wish, I wish if I could go back in time, I'd give anything to be at one of the dances that my grandfather played. He played the four string pinner banjo and, uh, apparently saying, well, we never met. Um, but they would play barn dances and it was not, you know, I think they played songs like kind of popular songs of the day, good night, Irene and songs like that. Um, and probably some, I think they probably had an accordion player. They probably played some Norwegian polkas, German mm-hmm. polkas. Um, you know, just, just to experience that would have been so cool. Um, but I can only, I can only imagine and hear the remnants of it now. Yeah. yeah I, I'm not, obviously like the, the German influence on Texas is so, uh, if you, if you're not aware, like it's right there, even if you don't feel like you, or listening to polka music every day or something like that. It's there. Um, But yeah, it's very much there. And I I feel like the, the more you you become aware, the more you see it. I was going to ask if there was like that kind of that polka, the accordion, the, that aspect of, of, of growing up there was, if that was a, a major cultural norm, I guess. I remember being at weddings and there being polka, like there was the obligatory polka at every wedding. Um, but I don't know where the, where the, I don't know enough about polka to say if it was a Norwegian polka or a Swedish polka or a German or a Polish polka. Mm -hmm. Um, but the little enclave where I'm from apparently has like the most Norwegian Americans in anywhere in the United States or it did. Um, so there was always that, um, it's not, it's not as musical of a culture as, you know, say central Texas with its Mexican music and it's, it's German music. Um, but there was also like, there was a TV show on Saturday night on like public access with polka (laughs) people dancing polka. (laughs) And then on, um, on Sundays there was, 
there was a radio show that was like all day that was like polka music and gospel. So <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I need to like ask somebody in my family if they remember what that was. Because obviously they had enough listeners of, of a certain age, probably, <laughs> that, <laughs> right. um, that were into it. Yeah. It's not it's not a big part of my influence that the polka and the, and the accordion stuff, but I hear it, and I'm, I, it, it makes me kind of choke up. So I know there must have been some. It must have been a thread that kind of ran through subconsciously. Yeah, yeah. I always think that like sometimes it's just having those instruments around, uh, even if you're not like, oh, I, I love this kind of music. If that instrument's there and you have access to it and it's familiar, you can twist it and turn it and make it something that feels familiar for you or that it's something that you like. So Yeah, you have like a literacy around it that not everyone has. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I wanted to talk about that first song. Um, you, you tap so much into that. Uh, I, something that I think if you get away from your hometown and you are gone for even just a short amount of time and you come back, the world can change and you can feel like a stranger in your own hometown. And you, you really um, capture that sense of that eeriness, that feeling of like, and even just that little bit of, you, you talk about some of that grief or ache or something, you, you can hear that little bit of your heartbreak in that moment too on this song. Where, when did you, when, when, when did that come out? Um, I wrote that when I was in Austin. I must have written it three or four years ago because I was still living there. Um, and I had been home a few times. Of course, my, my folks still live um, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. So I visit them often. Um, and, you know, that's always nice. And I've got a few friends that live back home. But, you know, sometimes you go home and it's just not there anymore. Like... um things have just changed so much. The high school's been, been remodeled and it's this different building now. And, um, it's a Fargo itself is a lot more built up. Um, it looks, I drove through it, uh, back in July and it's, there's a lot of things about it that are, that are unrecognizable for better and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's bittersweet. And you know, when you're, when you're young, you just, it's the biggest thing, you know, and, and you go home and things kind of feel, it just feels, it feels like, you, well, for one, I've lived away for a long time and I don't have, I don't have the accent anymore. And I'm often told <laughs> to my chagrin, like, you don't sound like you're from Minnesota. I get that a lot. <laughs> and it's like, well, it hurts a little bit because on one hand, they're imagining that Fargo accent and they're you know expecting that maybe I would have that. But on the other hand, um, it's like a piece of my, it's a piece of my culture that I w- kind of wish I could, you know, like a tattoo. It's like, I, I just, I wish that I still had some, I look like a Minnesotan. I'm, I'm, you know, five ten and blonde, but besides that, um, you can't tell I'm from there unless I tell you. Yeah. You know, like there's this, um, I'm assuming you, you, you left and you went to, uh, what was like the first city you went to, like that you were living in right after? I moved, I moved to San Marcos. Okay, so um, like a bigger like for right? college for one year, and okay. then I quit college and went moved to Austin. Okay, so like you, you probably f- will understand this big time. Is like 
I moved from Fort Stockton to Lubbock and it was kind of like, oh, I'm moving to a bigger city. And anytime you kind of went back, you go like any kind of, I guess, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a great example here. Uh, even just something as like, I remember moving or going back and visiting around Christmas and they had built a, a new, um, a new, uh, movie rental place. And like our old movie rental place was like, you know, just the crummy kind of place. And when they built this new one, it's like, Oh, you guys are finally getting a, I don't, I don't think it was a blockbuster, but you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, you're finally getting yeah. this. And you're kind of like giving them a hard time. Like, Oh, we've got a bunch, bunch of stuff like this and wherever. And then like that happens three or four more, five times. And you're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Like you guys shouldn't be able to have this stuff. Like I want Fort Stockton to forever be that, whatever I remember it as a kid. Like you yeah. want to be that, that, um, I don't know, that gatekeeper for some reason. I feel like that's what you're some, in some way you're talking a little bit about like that feeling too. Yeah. I, I didn't want it to change. You know, I, I, I wanted it to be, I wanted to remember it like I remembered it. <laughs> and like we had this little, um, there's a store that I mentioned in the, in the song and it was like this cute general store and it had, it had a pancake kind of breakfast restaurant restaurant attached to it. And you could, there's always like a bunch of octogenarians in there <laughs> eating pancakes and smoking. <laughs> and that's how I remember it. It was just like, it could have been 1940, you know, and down there. And then the store was like a hardware store on one side and the other side was groceries. And they had like little minnow tanks where you could get minnows for fishing and ice cream counter where you could get a big ice cream cone, you know? And I, I like think of that so nostalgically and then a few years after I moved, they remodeled the whole thing and, you know, probably sold it. And now it's like a Valero. Mm-hmm. Such a bummer. <laughs> I just wanted it to be that old place. Yeah. Like there's, there's the, yeah, like a, my, I guess, place for that would be, um, there was this old truck stop there in Fort Stockton that obviously opened 24 seven. You could go in there and get coffee and, you know, like the, the tiles on the ceiling were, just it looks like they had never changed them from the 40s and like just smoke uh smoke rings all around and all that kind of stuff and you know just um the walls had you know these old murals it was called Comanche Springs so like there's these old murals of Native Americans and they sold all the cliche kind of like paintings of of Native Americans for uh that were on the wall that you could buy right like in um it, like in deep down, it was kind of like a you know a crummy kind of place, but it was also like just a perfect place, a perfect place for that. It was colorful, place. right? And we would go there, and like I remember my parents and uh, we would go there on like Saturday or Sunday mornings and eat breakfast because their breakfast was pretty good. But you know, you would always walk in, and you could tell there is those you know five or six uh, guys who got there at four in the morning to drink coffee and, and gossip. Right. And, um, I guess if my long story short, like a few years ago, like they, uh, knocked it down and like, there's, it's just a parking lot now. And it's just like, anytime I've driven by, you just kind of go, Oh, that's uh, that's yeah, it makes you feel a little sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just, uh, yeah, but I just those of us who those of us who go away, we don't have a say, you know, in what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, you know, we don't we don't get to choose. I wanted to talk to y'all one more time about our new partners at Desert Door and offer up a handful of my favorite ways to drink it. Get you a Mexican Coca-Cola, have a couple of swigs, then pour yourself some Desert Door Oak aged in, toss in a lime wedge or two, or how about this? Pour some Desert Door into a mug, top off the glass with some ginger beer, squeeze in a lime, or for all you ranch water drinkers out there, get you a Topo Chico, take a couple of pulls off, and then pour in some Desert Door. Toss in a couple of lime wedges, and now you have a mighty tasty and refreshing ranch water. Remember, Soto is as versatile as vodka and has a more refined, smooth, and a more complex palate than tequila. It's rich and balanced, and, and whatever your go-to drink is, it'll make it that much better. And again, it's inherently West Texas. It tastes like home. For more info on Desert Door, check our show notes, All right, that's it for Thomas Mooney's Cocktail Minute. Let's get back to the show. Another song I wanted to talk to you about is Billy and Bo, which, you know, you talk about, like, we've been talking about all this, like, uh, the history and, like, preserving history in a way and these songs feeling like they're pioneer songs. But obviously this song, you know, you're, um, I think we'd be naive to think that, like, people weren't going through this back then. So I don't want to put that out, but um, it is very, it's obviously a progressive song and it's progressive in nature. Um, Where did you, I guess like, where did that song start and where, where's it? So um, I've been wanting to write that for a long time. Um, And it's kind of a composite, you know, full disclosure, it's kind of a composite of a couple of different stories and people that I knew. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I had to enlist some help and I got my friend, Melissa Carper, who's one of my favorite writers to help me write that. Um, and so she actually has a version of it out as well. Um, and hers, her version is, is the same as mine, except it takes place in Nebraska. (laughs) That's where she's from. So she just changed, we changed the state for who's singing it. But, um, you know, Billy and Bo is about three friends and, um, you know, two of them are boys and they're, you know, they're, they're dealing with, um, growing up gay and rural. And, um, yeah, that was a thing, you know? So, uh, and I'm in, in my mind, it's kind of in the nineties cause that's when I was coming of age mm-hmm. was in the 1990s. And, you know, I can't speak to the, to that experience myself, you know, being a straight person, but, um, I, it was all around me and some of my best friends were going through it. So, um, I just, I just wanted to, uh, kind of, kind of tell a part of that story and be, um, just show the memory of kind of that difficulty and also just, just tell us a love story and, and a story of friendship and also kind of, you know, the, the main piece of that, that I, I really relate to is kind of feeling like, um, a little bit misunderstood right? and a little bit like you'll never feel like you fit in. Cause that's, I mean, I would think a lot of people could relate to that. So there was that, um, that element and also just kind of that magic of, of, of young love mm-hmm. that you, you love when you're, you know, 16, um, that's a, that's a big part of that song. You know, there's, there's a backdrop of course of the whole, 
the issues in the song. But for me, it's just kind of a, a nostalgic snapshot of a time uh, that's gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think anyone, you're ignorant or naive to not feel like you know someone who's, who's um, gay or bi or whatever the case is. And, you know, growing up, I remember having friends who now that they're um, uh, open and, and out of the closet, like you can always kind of go like, oh, yeah, you know, I can you kind of reflect back on like, you know, I I can't imagine growing up in, in a place like Fort Stockton where, you know, <laughs> like you're not like there's no there's nothing necessarily. In, let's just think about it in the pop cultural sense. Right. There's nothing necessarily geared to you or about like your, yeah. your uh, what you're going through. It's a, you know, boy meets girl, right? It's uh it's never anything other than that. That's what's on TV or on the radio or what have you. So, um, and I would imagine that that would just contribute to your feelings of isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, not having anyone tell your story. So, um, to me that that's been a nice gratifying thing about releasing that song has been, oh, I've been told, ah, this is nice to hear because it's a perspective. You know, no no one's been telling my story. No one in country music, they've been so underrepresented. Right. Absolutely. Um, So hopefully doing a little, little bit of my part to, to help with that. But, you know, the intention was just to tell this love story Mm -hmm. and, um, growing up, growing up is hard enough. (laughs) <laughs> Growing up as an eccentric kid mm-hmm. in, in, in the Midwest, um, where I'm from, which conformity was valued. Um, you know, thankfully my family was pretty open to me being a weirdo and they were fine with it, but and the conformity and, and the being a certain way in that part of the country is, um, it was, it was encouraged. And so I can't imagine having that extra thing of being gay, <laughs> you know, in addition to being, you know, a creative person or just an eccentric like I was, mm-hmm. um, it would be, be a challenge to say the least. Yeah. You know, like this is, it's little apples to oranges here, but here's like a perfect, perfect example. My mother uh, is left-handed. I'm left-handed. But when my mother was growing up, she was like forced to be right-handed because being right-handed was, that's what the teacher, you know, you write right-handed. Uh, I have a class full of people right-handed. You're going to be right-handed. I'm not going to teach a lefty. You know what I mean? And that's something very, very small. And you think of it as being so backwards now. But even just 50 years ago, that was (laughs) something totally different. Uh Uh-huh. That's actually a pretty good analogy. Forcing somebody to (laughs) do something or be something that's unnatural to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's because you don't want to change your, your you know your viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's uh, I I I feel like everyone would be would be um, mind blown and just if if that came out in a in a first grade setting if a teacher was trying to do that or something right now you know uh, just yeah forcing think, a child to write <laughs> yeah right right handed so, if they were left handed so um, right yeah. Anyways, uh, I wanted to ask you a couple of things about like your, about, I guess every song kind of comes out different, all that kind of stuff. But in general, like kind of what you go for when you're writing a song, is there like a, 
a, a, a not necessarily a perfect time, but is there a, a time of day and a certain kind of mood that you kind of fit better whenever you're writing or that fits you better? Um, I write pretty well in the morning, oddly enough. Um, I like to have quiet. <laughs> um, but it's not always that. Sometimes it's, uh, I'll be driving or I would be driving back when we used to drive <laughs> and, um, listening to something, you know, sometimes listening to a song will give me, give me an idea for another song. Right. Yeah. Um, are you there? Are you there? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Did you, I lose you? Yeah, you, okay. you dropped out for a second there. Um, okay. You were talking about, like, driving and... Um, oh, yeah, when... Um, when Yeah, I, w- I would even be listening to something sometimes and start writing a song while I was listening to another song. Because um, songs give me ideas for songs. Um, but so do books and things people say in conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always wonder about, and I, I think like people are more, I guess, open to this because I think like we we romanticize the, oh, you know, I sat down and it just came natural and it just I just wrote it right there in fifteen minutes. Uh, but so many songs, so many of the great songs that we love, so many just songs in general. How much of that back work, or how much work was it before you even picked up a instrument and picked up the pen and paper and how much of, of the work was done before you even started writing it down necessarily? Yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes I'm not a believer that the emotion to songwriting, it depends what kind of song you're trying to write, but like all of the songs on this record, there was an emotional element to them mm-hmm. um, that had to be there. I couldn't just sit down and go, I'm going to write a song about, you know, I'm going to write a song about a, um, you know, a dog because it was a goal I set out to do or something. There had to be that emotional connection and that strong feeling before I could start. Right. Um, it just depends on the type of song though. Yeah. Have you, are you, are you like a pen and paper person or you Yeah. got to have a, yeah, usually, usually I've got a, a notebook and a, and a pen. Mm-hmm. And a guitar. Yeah, because obviously with technology and stuff, there's the iPads and computers and stuff like that. Obviously, a lot of people use that kind of stuff. Do you just typically write it all on paper and then transfer it later, or is, does it ever even go into a <laughs> a, a computer? It's um, I um, I, I usually write it on paper, and then. I'll eventually type it for some reason because someone like I'll send it to my, my publisher or you know, whoever might need it. Cause when I write it on paper, it looks like <laughs> it, it looks like a big mess. It's like a huge mess on the paper. There's stuff written sideways and upside down and like drawings. <laughs> so eventually I have to type it. Yeah. Like the, yeah, I've, I'm such a, I feel like I don't necessarily have like horrible handwriting. I've said I've had horrible handwriting on here before and I, but, um, 
I've got, well, I guess, like lazy handwriting. Like it, it just kind of like the longer I yeah, write, me too. <laughs> the, the worse it gets. And then like, you're just kind of like, what is this at the bottom? So, um, yeah. Do you, but I like, I like the paper and pen because, um, I, I get distracted. It's not that I don't, I mean, I use technology. I'm an avid addicted user of technology, but it, it distracts me so badly mm-hmm. that I can't have it in front of me while I'm trying to be creative. Cause it's just two different, that's two different parts of my thing. Yeah. It's, it's so like the temptation just to check on something else is, is too high right there if it's right within grasp. So I a hundred percent feel you on that one. Um, when it, when it comes to like co-writing with someone, how do you typically kind of, I guess, get yourself ready for, for that kind of thing? Um, well, I try to show up with a clear head and a positive attitude, (laughs) um, because I want to be there for that other person and, you know, do the best job I can. Um, lately I've been just kind of writing with people I'm close to. Mm-hmm. Um, my first couple of years in Nashville, I did a lot more co-writing with random people that I had just met or never met. And that's great. Um, that, that usually, you know, co-writing is really fun, you know, because writing, hanging out with other songwriters is really fun for me. Um, whether a song gets accomplished or not. Um, but with co-writing, I just try to, I try to remember that that person is there for a reason to offer a differing viewpoint. So, you know, flexibility is really important and listening is really important. Um, and you know, also showing up with an idea or two is always a good idea. Um, trying to have a goal, kind of blueprinting the song together and being open to the other person's ideas and not getting too attached to my own ideas. That's, that's an important. Yeah. Like the, I feel like there's, I feel like everyone is kind of like in that way, right? Of the, um, your idea is good, but like my idea is slightly better. (laughs) And you should, you should be able to say that too. If you genuinely believe Mm -hmm. that, you know, you should be able to say, no, I feel pretty, I feel pretty strongly about this. Um, but not to a fault because then you're just going to, you know, we've all been steamrolled in a songwriting appointment, um, and turned off by it. Yeah. Like, like somebody just ramrodding their way through. That's not any fun. You have to listen. Um, but also if I think, if I think your idea is there's something like not good about it, you should, I should be able to say, yeah, this is, here's why I don't really like that you know, a line or whatever. You know, I think, I think this lacks clarity. Can we, can we say this in another way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just being diplomatic, it goes a long way. Yeah. Going back to that Minnesota nice, right? The, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't say something nice. Exactly. <laughs> well, it, it does. I feel like if, if something needs clarity for you in the room that some on something that you're writing, you got to think about like, how is that going to, translate for an audience, you know, so that clarity is necessary or. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's always on my mind. Like this might mean something to me, but if if it's, if it's indiscernible for other people, it, they're going to be lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's, I guess it's that balance of going back to 
you don't want to you want to be specific in in a way niche, but you don't also want to just turn off any everybody. So you know, you, I lost you there for a sec. Oh, I was saying, you know, like you you want to be specific in your writing and and write about things that are. In, in, I hate to say it like this, but like in a niche kind of way. But you don't want to just make it where it's so super specific that no one gets it. Yeah, like you don't you don't want an inside joke to be in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you you don't want to say something that only you and three people will understand what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, maybe you do, but I don't. <laughs> I try to make things universally relatable because it's funny. Like the more specific the story is, sometimes the more relatable it is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I, that's why I like I, a lot of these songs on this new record right here. I do feel like they aren't West Texas, but I feel like they're the same thing um, in a way. So like that's even though you're obviously being super specific to this area, I feel like that's something that I, I tap into or that you've tapped into that I like. And that's good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I feel like I don't know, like um we almost always kind of maybe are scared that people aren't going to understand our area. So um yeah, I don't know. I had a big fear about that. I mean, going into this, I I was really questioning myself repeatedly about because it is like Texas is so romanticized all around the world. Everyone can point it out on a map. Mhm. Everyone knows where Texas is and about cowboys and all the, all the things that people think of when they think of Texas and where I'm from. I mean, truthfully, a lot of people can't point it out on a map and it's not, there's not been a trail blazed for me, um, of, of romance and nostalgia. It's like this kind of no man's land, um, in modern history anyway, um, and so I was afraid that only people from up there would like it and only, <laughs> you know, only people from the, the 30 mile radius that I'm writing about would, would, would be into it. But that, that's not turned out to be true because the theme, I think the themes are bigger, you know, there's loss and, and nostalgia and homesickness and that kind of thing. Yeah. Now you, you've kind of been, um, you know, in, in, I guess, I don't know, association, uh, in contact with some of those early Texas pioneers, uh, specifically like Guy Clark. Um, what I, I never met Guy Clark or anything like that, but he's one of my all time favorites. What's something like a, I guess about Guy that you would met, not necessarily, uh, the average person probably wouldn't realize if you walked into the room and saw him there. Do you have anything like that? Something about Guy? Yeah, like just like that's like, oh, he actually, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, I, I know Guy could come off as um, sort of a, a little bit gruff, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and he was. Um, but he was so gentle. He was such a gentle man. Um I, I know Guy through, I knew Guy through, through Noel McKay. Mm-hmm. Noel and Guy met in like 93, way back when Noel was a young songwriter. And uh, he introduced me to Guy in 
about 2008. Um, and we visited him a lot in the last five, six years of his life in Nashville before, before we lived here. And, um, I don't know. I just, I liked being in his company. That was, that was a thing. We didn't ride together. Um, the, the two of them were building a guitar together and riding and, and we just often would go over there and hang out with him. We opened for him sometimes, um, in various places, Texas. Um, but he just was this gentle person. And, and one thing I always like to remember about Guy is that he, um, he treated me as an equal, which if you think about the context of who he was, his age and his gender and everything he'd accomplished, um, it's kind of mind blowing because that's not very common, um, in someone of his generation. He treated me as an equal and a friend, and I, I just, I uh, appreciated that as a young songwriter. Yeah, like, of it is interesting because, like, I guess, like, you're talking like the man of that kind of time and the, those accomplishments. The you would maybe expect the the ego to come along with those accomplishments. Yeah. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. He did have, <laughs> he did appreciate praise. He did on, on, on more than one level. I think he understood how good he was. He understood his level of skill because how could you not? Right. Um, but he was gentle and, and I've never known anybody that was so encouraging to young artists and tried to get, I mean, there's multiple, lots of people I could name that he, kind of took under his wing and, and uh, tried to make their careers pop because he cared. Yeah. Like that's, I feel like if you're someone like that, it's so easy to just kind of turn off the world, right? Like I've, I'm Guy Clark and I don't have to necessarily give that uh, lending can to the next generation or anything like that. But that's so important. I feel um, yeah, he could have totally checked out. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. true. Well, no, he didn't. That's I, I feel like that's something that um, as as aging songwriters or aging musicians can go like you can lose that sense of touch. You know, you it's easy to um, go in and go like, man, you know, um, there for a minute, Dylan fell off, or like, oh, Springsteen, like, what is he? You know, it's very very easy to understand that the Rolling Stones or whoever. Um, it feels like guy never really lost touch of, of what was good. Yeah. He was, he was into, um, he never, he never stopped loving music and being inspired by new things. You know, we'd go over there and he'd be playing the ink spots or he'd be, um, he had discovered a new song once went over there one time and he was listening to this Dave Alvin song over and over again a song called Johnny Ace is Dead. Um, you know, just that probably kept him young. And he was, he did have a young, a youth about his, uh, his spirit curmudgeonly though he could be. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously like you, you've been, um, you, you've been, I feel, okay. I'm going to backtrack over there. I'm going to cut that part that stammering there. Um, you know, you've, you've had a lot of songs cut by other folks. 
Um, some that maybe I feel like would surprise people, someone like Charlie Crockett. We talk, uh, I've known Charlie for a minute, and you know, he cut one of your songs, and um, he just absolutely loves your songwriting, your playing, and stuff like that. In, in that sense, like, what, uh, I guess, like, where did you meet Charlie? Man, I um, I don't remember exactly where I met Charlie, but I remember seeing him around Austin, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago when he was not really, he didn't really have a career going at the time. Not, not in the way, not in the way that he does now. And I just would see this guy and think he'd come to my shows and my shows with Noel McKay. And he was always this like impeccably dressed, handsome guy. <laughs> Who is this guy? You know? Um, and we got to be friends and uh, I've just seen him. Blossom isn't the right word. He's, he's been more like a rocket. You know, he's just done so well and his art has just exploded. He's just um, such a great artist that I, I just admire so much. And um, I think we might've met it. We met at either green hall or the white horse, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like one of the things I really like about Charlie is sometimes it's so easy to, um, I guess like when, when releasing records, it's very easy to go, Oh, you know, I released one 18 months ago. I need to get something out now. All right, let's wait another. And it, it, it ends up being one of those things where sometimes you're sitting on a record forever, uh, just because the the norms of of releasing records is different. And Charlie is just releasing material all the time. And I think yeah, he has like, an enviable uh, release schedule, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, well, it's like he's catching up, like he's making time or making up for lost or for past time lost, you know, getting. All yeah, the that's I mean, that's probably really been good for him. I mean, I think I've had a conversation with him about it. Just got to keep releasing things. And, you know, it reminds people that you exist and it gives them something new. Mm -hmm. um, I, I aspire to be the same, but you really have to focus. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, you, you know, it's been really great talking with you today about this record. Yeah, you too. Thank you for listening to it and doing the research and asking the right questions. <laughs> okay, thanks for listening to New Slang. Be sure to check out Prairie Love Letter by Brennan Lee. It's out this Friday, September 18th. Check out Desert Door and the Blue Light Live. All right, I'll see y'all later this week for another episode of New Slang. <laughs>